Welcome back to another episode of Designers Getting Coffee. This is Kate and Leslie, and today we are talking about 10 red flags you should never ignore. Designers, these are very important topics that we are talking about today. We're sharing with you guys really raw stories of, that we've experienced over the years of running our business and hoping that you can learn from them before you experience them for yourself. We're going to be talking about boundaries. We're going to be talking about how to clearly identify red flags and how to respond to them. We're going to be talking about operating from a place of generous assumptions, but most importantly, we want you to be successful. We want you to have great projects, great clients, and protect your reputation. And you know, these are just real stories and we're excited to share them with you. I would even go as far as to say, if there is one episode that you listen to of ours, please let it be this one. And when you're done, share it with your friends. It is so good. It is so juicy. There's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of face palms and a lot of alliteration. Thanks to Alliteration Leslie, which we will get to here in a moment. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Episode 31, 10 red flags you should never ignore. Today's episode is brought to you by Designers Oasis. I wanted to create an online hub for designers to access resources to help you run your business. Designers Oasis is a place to get time-saving and confidence-boosting design resources. Start with a free space planning quick reference guide, a printable to make space planning quick and effortless. You can also access the Canva templates for interior designers. Right now, our podcast listeners can get 10% off any of the Canva templates for interior designers. Use the code DGCCANVA10 at checkout. That's DGC for Designers Getting Coffee, Canva10 at checkout. And we'll be sure to link that in the show notes. All right, head over to designersoasis.com. Stop going it alone. Hey, I'm Kate Bendewald. And I'm Leslie Myrick. We're interior designers who've been meeting every Friday for coffee to discuss the ins and outs, ups and downs of running our design business and decided to hit the record button. We are designers getting coffee with each other and now you. While some might choose to guard the hard-earned secrets of their design success, we've chosen to support, encourage, and empower one another to be the most kick-ass business owners possible. Welcome to the Designers Getting Coffee podcast, real talk about running your design business with head and heart. Come join the conversation. And now this is episode 31, 10 red flags you should never ignore. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Kate. This is going to be such a good topic (laughs) or a bad topic, depending on if we've ever been burned before with some (laughs) red flag worthy clients. I know. (laughs) This is like every lesson we've ever learned the hard way. Bingo. Uh, Wrapped into a podcast episode. No, I mean, and I think that this is a super important episode. We actually had a different episode planned for today, but we just weren't feeling it. And so we were like, what else could we talk about today? And maybe it's because it's Friday and we're just feeling a little punchy. I don't know. But I mean, I'm surprised we left it at 10. We left it open-ended, but it could have been longer. But these are really important things that we have either experienced in our own business or we've had other designers share their stories with us. But when I was first starting out, I was unaware of the notion that I even should be looking out for red flags. Because every client that came your way is a paying client. And that's great. But that's not true. It is. Yeah. I know. I think the... I think the original episode title of this was like, say, turning away a client that's not a right fit or something like that. And anyway, it morphed into this and I think it's going to be good. And we'll, we'll maybe come back to this idea, but I don't know if you guys heard last episode, um, Leslie asked me what my word of the year was and my word of the year for 2020 is no. (laughs) 
for a number of reasons. It's because I am, I, I say yes to too many things. And so I'm trying to be better at just creating healthy boundaries. And that includes boundaries in my work, um, as you know, my professional life, as well as my personal life. And so as we dive into these, I would just want to remind you guys that while these are red flags, we're not necessarily telling you that these are deal breakers and that you should run for the hills or walk away or tell them, no, you are the only one that can decide that. But it is important for you to pay attention. And if, and when these things come up, especially if it comes up more than once or paired with more red flags, then you might want to reconsider. But we're going to talk today too, just about like, how do you deal with these red flags when you, when you see them? And sometimes it's a matter of, oh, I haven't been clear with my expectations with my client and that's on me. So we'll dive into that more. Leslie, before we dive in, are there any like big picture global thoughts on this subject of red flags that you want to share? Yeah. Red flags are something that, uh, man, this is such a big topic. I consider myself a pretty intuitive person. Like I am fairly empathetic. I can read people easily. I definitely trust my gut. I struggle sometimes with red flags because often we have just met a client and you don't know them that well you don't know their true character you don't know you just you don't know and so there have been times in my experience where there's been a red flag and i mean we say red flag but let me tell you in my experience it's not so like you know blinding in my eye like giant red flag this is a problem it's more like a little little tingle of a feeling where i'm like "Mm, is that is should i be looking out for this and so i struggle with the fact that it's so early in the relationship. Should I let this little tingle? Should I let this red flag? Is that a reason alone to kibosh the project? Or do I just not know this person and I need to give them a chance? I'm going to be real and tell you most of the time, the little tingle at the beginning does end up being a problem later. So that's something that I'm learning the more that I pay attention to these red flags and these little signs that I'm getting that something's just not quite right. I need to start respecting those more from the beginning because almost always my gut is right from the get-go. And I've given myself that out of, well, I don't know them yet. You know, well, I don't want to, I don't want to write someone off before I get to know them. But there are things that are going to show up with certain clients that'll kind of make you go, huh? Or just something that feels slightly uncomfortable, slightly outside of, you know, what your normal policies and procedures are. And I think historically for me, every time I've said yes to a red flag client, something has gone awry. I don't know about you, Kate, if you've had something similar, do you struggle with that at the beginning? You know, kind of sensing some red flags and then not knowing how to proceed with that information? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that happens. I've gotten much better at recognizing red flags and how to respond to them. You, A lot of times it's just a matter of, I don't know that I've made this abundantly clear with this person and I want to make sure that they know. And it's just a matter of clarifying things. And then if it still is an issue, then that's when it's like, okay, this is a character flaw, not of me not doing, you know, communicating well. So I think you just have to get curious about where it's coming from, you know, and I think sometimes clients maybe ask questions that are naive in nature and being able to differentiate when a question is, you know, when it's a authentically just a a legitimate question that they have versus somebody trying to be um, manipulative. So I think just give, you know, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, but these are red flags that should probably have conversations around them. What should they come up? So without further ado, let's dive in. So Leslie and I are going to go back and forth today. We each wrote out about five. Um, and so my first one was if a client asks you for a discount on services. So my, my very first like big project, it was furnishing an entire home. I think there were four bedrooms. There was a primary living space and then a downstairs 
living space, so multiple living spaces, dining rooms, guest rooms, bedrooms, patio, outdoor lake, the whole gamut. And so the proposal was significant in nature. Um, looking back on it, I was like, man, they got a bargain. <laughs> but, but, it, but, you know, it felt big for me at the time. And after our client got the proposal, you know, they, they said, this, this sounds good. We really think you can do a good job. We want to move forward. I think you can appreciate that we're about to be shelling out a lot of money uh, for product, right, for, to furnish this. I'm wondering if your, if your overall rate to do the project is at all negotiable. And thankfully, they didn't ask me this in person. It was an email. <laughs> So I had time to, you know, come up with the best response. I mean, I knew immediately the answer was no, but good for you. Cause I think a lot of people would get intimidated. They would, they could lose the job for not negotiating the rate or not pleasing the client. Well, what that does is that diminishes your value and your expertise right off the bat. And that sort of sets the tone for the rest of the project. And you need to stand firm in your, what you're charging and your rate. So here's how I would respond if somebody does that for you. Number one is, you know, indicate, I also appreciate that you are about to invest in your home and you should be proud of yourself for doing it in a thoughtful way and asking for help where you need it. I assure you that the value that I bring is going to help save you tremendous time, money, and mistakes so that you can focus on your, these were particularly busy professionals, you know, so that you can focus on the things that you are an expert at, but the value that you bring is going to offset any savings that they may try to nickel and dime you on. Just reiterate your value and, and how you can save Save them time, money, and mistakes, but you're not going to save them money on hiring you. You are expensive and you are slow and you're worth every damn penny. And you just remember that. I love that phrase. <laughs> so asking for a discount on a service isn't necessarily a deal breaker, but it could be an indication of, we'll call her discounting Debbie. <laughs> like, Oh, good old discounting, <laughs> discounting Debbie, always Debbie. looking for the bottom dollar. Yeah. So, and for a lot of people, it's just a habit, you know, they're in a habit. They're habitual negotiators. I mean, that particular client was an attorney, so that's her. She negotiates for a living, you know, again, it wasn't coming from a place of being like super cheap. It was just a habit. And we went on to have a great project and, and that was it of the story. But what I want to encourage you to avoid is actually Leslie's next one. Um, because I think early on, maybe the temptation is to say, well, no, I can't um, give you a discount on services, but discounting Debbie strikes again. <laughs> Red flag number two is when a client asks you for your designer discount or for to not pay taxes for tax exemption on purchases. Now I have to stop you right there. Have you actually had somebody ask you for tax exemption? I haven't, but I could see somebody doing that. I can't remember exactly if I have. It kind of rings a bell. A lot of times if clients like have their own business or something where they have a resale certificate, sometimes they think it's okay. Then you go open your own trade accounts and you buy this Reach stuff it. yourself. <laughs> well, yeah, honestly, this is one that does come up, but thankfully has not come up a lot. And full stop, I don't do these things. Let's talk about designer discounts for a minute because this is one I see discussed a lot in designer Facebook communities and just in the design world. If you are at all familiar with purchasing as a designer, you will know there is a retail price or MSRP, manufacturer's suggested retail price. And then you as a designer get to buy it for less. That is your designer discount. The goal is your discount is your special price as a wholesale client and you sell it to the client for more. You make money on the product. This is how it works. This is how all stores and all companies buy product and resell it. There are a lot of designers who to be competitive say that they will pass on their trade discount to client, meaning whatever the designer pays, that is all they are charging the client for. This is so incredibly 
damaging to our industry because your designer discount is proprietary information. It is your privilege as a designer to have access to that pricing and to be able to make margins reselling products. I feel like it is such a not great practice to... Kate is like raising her arms. I'm like, do I need to stop? Or is she like... I'm my hands are in the air. I'm like, take me to church. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel so strongly about this, guys, because <laughs> it seems like it's such a... Oh, gosh. It would be such a, quote, easy way to like get the sale of like, I know it's on Wayfair for $500, but I can give you my trade pricing of $300. And all that's going to do is hurt you in the end. You have no room to make money. You are literally giving away proprietary information that vendors are trusting you with. This is not pricing that consumers are supposed to have access to, period. And so clients that ask for that, they know, I mean, they're trying they're trying to get to you. They're they know a lot about how the industry works. They understand that we get better pricing, but someone that asks you to only pay your designer price or can you just pass on your trade discount to me? Or another one is clients want to go directly to your vendor, like, well, it'll, we'll order on your account, but I'll pay for it with my credit card. Hails to the no. So, these are things I feel like you know, Kate mentioned earlier, asking for a discount on services, sometimes it's just you don't get what you don't ask for and maybe it's naivete or just you're new to this and have questions. I feel like when clients or potential clients get to this kind of stuff, this is this sneaky stuff. And if that is what well, they're about, it can be. I, I think it can be. I think it can also be clients just not understanding the business model. Again, right. we want to be, what am I trying to say? reasonable with our assumptions, generous in our assumptions about their intention, right? Um, but I think these are like buzzwords that clients hear and they think that they're just privy to it. So what is your response to a client if they are to ask that to you? Like, do you have a canned response for that question? That's an awesome question. I am trying to focus on a lot more design only projects right now where I'm not procuring, I will specify because it's hard to make money on small-ish projects when you're selling stuff. But if they ask me, I am transparent in that I let them know like, yes, as a designer, I have access to wholesale pricing. Part of how I run my business is having a margin on products that I am selling. Typically with clients, I do my best to match what's commonly available online. So, I mean, I keep Wayfair as an example just because they're a really easy to find price and they carry so much stuff. But my goal when I am selling, and it has to be for the right project, is to match what's online or do a little bit better. I let clients know, and I don't give percentages, I don't share specific dollar details, but I let them know I share part of my trade discount when I can, because I do understand that is part of the value some people see in hiring a designer, is to have access to better pricing. So I don't give numbers, I don't give names. There's a lot of back and forth with designers about should you be fully transparent and let them know your trade pricing plus your markup. I have done that before and it has shot me in the foot. So no more of that. But I do let them know, yes, I do make money selling products as part of my business model. However, I do my best to share part of that discount when I can with my clients. And you know, when clients are, or not clients, when projects are at a certain price point, it's a lot easier to do this. I am so over ordering like $300 lamps and trying to make 20 bucks on that kind of thing. I won't even do that anymore. But one way to kind of get around this is with custom. And I know this has been around for a while, but you know, if you're selling a custom sofa, if you're, you know, changing the arm style or you're upgrading the fabric, they can't shop you as easily. So if you're really concerned about clients doing that, quote them custom stuff that they can't, there is no, there is no special pricing. It is custom and is what it is. But that is one that I think definitely deserves to be looked out for that if clients are trying to, I guess, use you for your trade pricing. To me, that is a big hail no 
here's the links, here's the product name and who sells it and you can go buy it on your own. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same way and I, I just have a very simple response that says, my clients pay retail pricing, never more, sometimes less. I like that. <laughs> so it's saying like, it's not, it's taking the emphasis off of the discount and you know the fact that I'm marking it up, which it's none of their business how I run my you know, the finances of my business, that's, that's proprietary information. And it's very similar. It's like, it's, I can't name a percentage. I can't even name companies because they're all different. It's sort of, it's very project specific. And that number will get flushed out at the end when we know exactly what are we purchasing and what's involved. And yeah, so I think, I think that's great, but I would recommend for you guys to really get super clear with yourself and your staff. What, what is your your business's policy on this? You need to have a policy in place. You can't be blindsided by this question. It needs to be in your contract and you need to have a very clear response that you use every single time that really promotes like the value of your services, that they're saving time, money, and mistakes by hiring a designer. And, and that's really where the value comes in. It's not with nickel and diming you and getting trying to get every single discount that you want. But same here, you know, if we've got a smaller project and maybe their furnishings budget isn't on the higher end of the spectrum, that is probably a good design only client for you to say like, I'm gonna give you all of the links and all of the product information you can go get all the coupons in the world and price this yourself and do it. That way you get to do the creative work. Are those gonna end up being the most photographable projects? Probably not, but there, it is an option for you to consider if that's what you wanna do for your business. So discounting Debbie strikes again, I like it. Discounting Debbie. All <laughs> right, what do we have next, Kate? What is number three? Okay, so number three. Can we call her boundary breaking Barbara? <laughs> can we go with this alliteration theme? <laughs> Alliteration Leslie. <laughs> All right, Kate, tell us about boundary breaking Barbara and what is she doing? That's a red flag. Oh, I'm cracking up, y'all. Okay. I'm so happy right I know, now with this. I you know. guys. Um, so, Barbara, er, b- boundary breaking Barbara is. Barb. Who's <laughs> the one who. Sorry, this is no offense to anybody out there named Barbara. One of my one of my best friends in the world has that name. It's a lovely name. Uh, is the one who ignores clearly identified boundaries, such as texting, calling on the weekends or asking for evening weekends meetings. So I wanna put an emphasis here on the clearly identified piece of it because it's one thing to ignore boundaries, but if you have not set them in place, then they may be breaking boundaries that they don't even know they're breaking. Designers are different on this. Some designers are completely open to texting and communicating that way. I have a practically zero tolerance policy for it. The exception being like, hey, I'm running 10 minutes late for our meeting or something like that as far as like in the moment logistics are concerned. Installation day, texting is completely expected. But generally speaking, all communications happen through email. If they need to get in touch with me, I prefer a phone call. Um, and then I will wrap up, a, I will recap that phone call in an, in an email. So for me, texting is a big no-no. And typically my response when they text, the very first time they do it, my response is, would you mind sending this in an email? And I will respond that way. Because usually those texts are coming around 6 p.m. and I'm in the middle of making some uh, legendary Chef Boyardee dinner for my kids. (laughs) I've officially stopped cooking, by the way, y'all. That's for another episode. Um, So again, being generous in your assumptions. Oops, they just forgot. Um, They just need a quick reminder. Um, After that, I will, if they continue to do it, I will completely ignore their text and they will not get a response from me via text or an email. (laughs) So that usually does the trick. So 
but calling on the week, like, so here's how I make this clear for them. Number one, it's in my contract. Um, I understand that the contract is long and that there's a lot of information in there. So I make sure to include it also in their welcome package. It's, there's a whole sheet dedicated to communications. If you want, I have a Canva template all on a welcome package and you have a template, you can go create one for yourself, but it has specifically, when are you available for calls? text meetings. I also don't have meetings on Mondays or Fridays. Fridays is for recording podcasts and doing Designers Oasis stuff. Mondays is for marketing and my in-office time. I don't even have my staff here on Mondays. So I don't have meetings on Mondays. I don't have meetings in the evenings or on weekends. However, if you are a very busy high-end client and you would like to request an evening or meeting time because that's the only time you're available, I will gladly meet you and my rate is double. So that usually does the trick and they can find time Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday between the hours of nine to five. (laughs) I love that strategy because it's not just like, oh, I'm sorry, like my kids are home and I'd love to be there, but I can't. You're like, I am important. My time is valuable. I will come after hours, but understand that the rate is double. Works every time. I love that. Very important here. Identify what your boundaries are be firm in them make sure you're clearly communicating them and if they need to be repeated doing them often but if somebody continues to ignore these boundaries then you may need to decide whether this is a good fit for you because usually if they're not going to respect those boundaries then they're willing to do a lot more that could be harmful to your your business and your bottom line and your reputation all right boundary Best bur- boundary breaking Barbara. Boundary breaking Barbara. And next, Kate, I have been thinking ahead of all these names. Get ready because it's coming at you. Red flag number four is negotiating Nancy. <laughs> this oh is going to happen gosh. all day. And this it. is when a client tries to negotiate your contract terms. You've sent them your design agreement, your contract, professional services agreement, whatever you call it, the legal document that you both sign to make sure expectations are clear on both ends. And they come back to you with a bunch of red lines through it and some thoughts. I have some thoughts on your contract. Can we talk? I have a few thoughts. This is something to me that I'm going to go ahead and make an assumption. Nancy, Nancy, Nancy. Nancy and your questions. I'm going to go ahead, designers, and make an assumption that you are smart, because you are, and you have probably had an attorney review your contract. You have thought carefully about the clauses and all the goods in there, why they are there, what they protect, who they protect, how they work. Good old Nancy shows up and she didn't like something in there. That is not a reason to change your contract. There is... I mean, I can't even think of a reason it would be appropriate for someone to nitpick or tear apart your contract. The one exception I have is that in my contract, in the section that talks about photography, I do say, if you do not want your project photographed or images shared, and of course I talked before that about how, you know, your identity is protected. I don't give names, locations, things like that. But I do say in my contract, if you do not want this project photographed and and or shared on social media and in marketing materials, you must submit that to me in writing. That is the only part of my contract that I am willing to, I guess, quote, negotiate on. It's not even negotiation. I've made it clear what the steps are. And the reason I do that is because I do understand sometimes clients do not want things shared. It feels very private. I had a, a realtor client who I love And I did her um, teen girls room and it's so cute and I really wanted to share it, but she just felt like that's a little much. Like if someone happens to figure out who it is, like she was just really uncomfortable with her kids' rooms being shown. Totally respect that. It worked out just fine. I don't love that. I want to be able to share great projects. But Nancy, unless you're asking me about the photography clause, this contract is here for a reason. Have you ever had someone, Kate, try to negotiate your, your terms or 
come back to you with just a few questions or some feedback about your contract? You know, it's funny, and this is absolutely not a dig on realtors because some of my best friends in the world and my godmother are realtors and I love them to pieces, but the person who tried to negotiate my contract was also a prominent realtor. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. <laughs> and she worked in very luxury high-end real estate, which was great. Um, she ended up being like probably, and this was a long time ago and in a different city. So if you're listening, it's not somebody in Waco. <laughs> um, this was a, oh my gosh, it was like Cruella. <laughs> it was scary. We ended up parting ways. But anyway, oh, yeah, no. she, that was a red flag that I ignored and I moved forward anyway. And yeah, and she did, and I don't even remember what it was about, but yeah, it, it was that. Now, I want to suggest something here, and I don't know if you do this, but two things about the photography clause that I would consider. Number one is um, they need to make that clear that that's something that they don't want to be done prior to signing the contract. Yes, 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 yes. It, yes. it needs to be like after the fact, once you've signed it, moved on, you can't change your mind because that's going to be a different story. And here's why. I would suggest, and this is this is actually what photographers do quite a bit. If they don't want you to photograph your project, their project, then your hourly rate actually is going to increase significantly. How do you actually handle that though? Like by that time, haven't you given someone a quote? Or I'm just I'm curious. I've never thought about that before. So the assumption is that all fo- all projects are going to be photographed. Yes. If you get the contract and you see that this is this is and, and here's really this is happening only with very high profile individuals. I, I don't want to name drop, but you know, cele- celebrities. I'll just I'll g- generically say that. Let's say a celebrity hires a photographer to take pictures of their family, family photographs, say for a birthday party or something, something that they want to keep as a keepsake for themselves. They might choose to share one or two of those on social media, but they're going to demand that that photographer is not allowed to share that photo in his or her portfolio. For those individuals and those very high-end clients, they're actually going to pay a premium for those photographs because your portfolio is what helps you continue to get jobs. It's very important to build your for- portfolio. It's very important to continue to get new work and photography, and it's what helps you keep your business running. So for that reason, it is justified to expect to pay higher. You decide that on your own. Like if there is, like I do have in my photography clause that we will not share, there are no names, no faces. So if we take a picture in a in a room and there's a family picture or family portrait, we'll replace that with generic art that can't be seen, especially when children are involved, unless we get special approval. Now I've got this really cute picture because I did this boys room and the boys were wearing masks, like little superhero masks and capes and they were playing in their new bedroom. Mom said, that's fine, share those pictures. So don't negotiate on your contract. You're right, it's there for a reason. The photography one, um, give some thought to that and, and decide what you're comfortable with. But if somebody doesn't want me to photograph their project, my hourly rate's going to be higher. I love that. I would just go back to the drawing board and be like, here's my <laughs> my new rate. All right, Kate, what is red flag number five? I was trying to come up with a cute... Indecisive Iggy. Go. <laughs> I'm on this one today. I got your back with the names. <laughs> we need a guy in this. Indecisive Ian. Ian, man. <laughs> Ian. Ian cannot... <laughs> Uh, Iggy's cute. Um, he he can't make decisions. Indecision is crippling. Yes. Um, projects cannot go on indefinitely forever because you're going to have new projects that come in and you're going to be focused on that work. And if you have to pause and break from working on that project to answer this question or, or come back to something for 
uh, this other indecisive client, then it's really going to throw off your schedule and, and your, your work weeks and in your projects. So indecision, ha- it gets a rippling effect when, when somebody can't make a decision. Um, a lot of times in design, decisions sort of hinge on different things. They're all intertwined, you know. You may change one thing and it's like, well, if we change that, then it's like a snowball effect and you have to change a bunch of different things to get it all to work together. Like design is like this little puzzle piece. And I, I recently had these lovely clients that really, really got that. You know, we had, we were in the middle of presenting this beautiful kitchen design. We were so proud of it. And it was, they ended up going yes with almost everything, but it was just the cabinetry color was a little bit of a surprise for them, but that was the basis of the countertop and the hardware and the backsplash and everything. And so as we started to talk through it in the presentation, when he said, well, here's what happens is if we, cause we did, we pulled out other colors and we started being like, well, what if we did this or what if we did that? But the thing is, is that was like the backbone of all of the other decisions. And had they not been decisive about that and been able to make a decision, it would have put all of those other decisions, the countertop, the backsplash on hold. So what I tell clients is your indecision costs you money. It puts a pause on things, things take longer, and there's just a lot of reasons why not being able to make a decision can, can really throw your project off track. So I actually ask a question in my initial client questionnaire about their decision-making ability. And I, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but once a client has booked a consultation with me, uh, they get a questionnaire that I get the answers to before I arrive for a consult. And one of the questions is multiple choice and it's like how easily do you make decisions and the options are like very quickly or I need a little bit of time or I need a lot of time to make decisions so if I see on there that somebody says I need a lot of time to make decisions I'm going to want to make sure to have a conversation with them around what kind of information would be helpful most helpful for them to make decisions because that can really throw off a project and we want it to be successful for them. We want to help support them so that they can make decisions with confidence and feel good about it. Um, so yes, it's a red flag. It's not necessarily a deal breaker, but we want to have that conversation. That's just gonna, yep, mic drop. We're, that's a great, great answer to that. <laughs> Indecisive Ian? No. Mm-mm. <laughs> All right. I don't, I don't know what number we're on, but I know you probably have this This is number out. six. Six, great. I'm trying to think of a clever name. Ghosting um, Gary. Oh, Ghosting Gary. Gary. <laughs> We're going to pick buddy. on the boys here for a little while. Okay. So Ghosting Gary is someone who either just straight up ghosts on you and you don't hear from them again, or they take way too long to respond. This has happened to me. I now have a clause in my contract that says I expect clients to respond to all communications in a timely manner of five business days because I had a client, Gary, we'll call him. I did a bathroom design and it started out as a retainer and then we were moving to billable when the retainer was done and I did the design and I did the presentation and I sent them the bill for the difference and crickets. And I mean, I'm talking two months before I even got an acknowledgement to any of my communications and there were emails there were voicemails there was follow-up and it was this super quick email oh no um i I saw the invoice but i don't think i owe you that because i already paid you this so i think we're good which was not true and then literally it took two you guys could see my face right now yeah gary (laughs) 
another two months of me following up probably weekly with phone calls, emails. I mean, Gary owed... Doesn't that make you feel just yucky inside? Well, yeah. And I mean, the money was not huge, but Gary owed me like $2,500. That's not nothing. And when you're a solo designer and you are... Yeah, you guys know that... I don't care if it's 25 cents. Give me my money. Bam! Anyway, um, ghosting Gary... I'm going to pause for a second. Last night I was talking to some friends over some beverages and we were talking about crazy people and I was like, crazy people make you feel crazy. They do. (laughs) Ghosting Gary made me feel crazy. It will make you feel crazy. If you're working with people and they're showing you all these red flags, they will make you feel crazy and ain't nobody got time for that. I'm feeling real sassy this Friday. Go on. And you know what? Ghosting Gary, like this happened kind of mid-project, right? As I explained, but there were signs in the beginning. There were delays. There were things like that. Uh, Ghosting Gary ended up a project where I had to go to an attorney and send a very strongly worded letter. And the next step was going to be small claims court. So ghosting is a big deal. Poor communication is a big red flag. If you can't get timely responses from clients, it it breaks down that barrier of communication. It erodes trust. It's a dangerous thing when clients won't talk to you. (laughs) Like it, it stinks. So that is something that, you know, if they're, it's one thing to be a bit indecisive and maybe they need some handholding or discussion. It's another thing completely when they just will not acknowledge you full stop. Keep your eyes out for that. Ghosting Gary's never make life good. No. Do you mind if I tag on that a little bit? Go on. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I've had, and I've had clients ghost because of indecision. I've had a ghost for a number of reasons. It doesn't happen too often, but number one, I like your claws. I had almost an identical clause and then I changed it recently. I don't have the exact wording in front of me, but basically the contract says that clients are expected to respond in a timely manner and but that we will indicate because the that you know you mentioned like the five days or whatever that's like globally a great time frame but there might be times where you need a more specific time frame so for example when i give my clients their concept package i indicate very early on exactly how many days they have to respond in order to keep their place on our design calendar and usually it's three days there are other things that it's like i need a response within 24 hours sometimes it's two weeks whatever the case may be but the timelines could change depending on what it is that you're talking about and you also need to clearly identify what are the re- like what are what are the repercussions if you ghost and don't show up to do your side of the design your side of the project and you know it's for us it's like we may either abandon the project altogether or we may have to bump you on our calendar indefinitely and we can't guarantee you that we'll be available later because we've moved on to a, a project who's not ignoring us <laughs> so yeah ghosting is one thing that like grinds me Mm-mm. It's so it's so disrespectful. Ghosting Gary, man. And then if there's money involved, get with it. Get back to us. Get cray. Oh yeah, no, I was not a happy designer. (laughs) Get cray. All right. (sighs) Let's go to number seven, which is trash talking Tina. (laughs) I'm having so much fun (laughs) with this, you guys. Kate, tell us about Trash Talking Tina and what goes on with this red flag client. Okay, so Trash Talking Tina is the client who worked with a designer before and she was so awful. She was just like the worst designer ever. Oh my God, that's so awful. Tina just wrote along with her designer. Um, Yeah, so if you have a client and her name might be Trash Talking Tina and she had an <laughs> awful experience with her last designer, you are very much going to want to find out, really, tell me more about that. And just just go there with them. Just 
find out as much as you can. Try to understand what happened. The truth is there are bad designers out there and none of y'all are listening right now because y'all are good designers. Hell but yes. But they are out there and yes, I've had to go fix problems that other designers make. So it could be very legitimate, but you want to ask more questions. You want to find out. Again, we're operating with good assumptions for our clients here, but just be curious, find out more. Yeah, I actually... <laughs> the client I showed up for a consultation. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but she had hired a, a designer, decorator, whatever, very inexper- inexperienced. And she bought a bunk bed for her daughter's room that was too big for the room. The only place in the room that they could put it was in front of the closet door. So now they had to take the closet door off. And the only way that they could get in the closet is by climbing under the bunk bed because it was one of those like it had like a desk on the bottom bunk instead of that's so anyway, the, the daughter the little girl was the only one that could get into the closet the mom just stopped putting clothes away in the closet and i was just like oh my goodness <laughs> and not to mention there was a giant ceiling fan <gasps> she was like i can't turn the ceiling fan on because it's gonna clock my kid in the head that's yeah, just like decapitate your daughter so there are times where you know there might be a legitimate reason for trash talking a palace designer so just get curious about it find out and just really use that don't forget about that proceed with caution but if it's it could be that they are the one with the personality flaw and and you just don't know what that is yet because it's too soon you haven't had enough time with them yeah so trash talking tina these are so good i will say in my experience with trash talking tinas it's almost never about the past designer (laughs) i have had it before where a client has told me about, you know, maybe one, two designers they've worked with and here's what happened and blah, blah, blah. And inevitably, they're the problem. And it doesn't end great with us either. No, you're right. And you know what? To ask them, say, have you have you worked with any other designers besides her? You know, this this other last person. And if that also went bad, then yeah, maybe you should be running for the hills. Yeah, curious is a great way to look at it. I love that phrase, Kate. Curiosity did not kill the cat, by the way. No. And trash talking Tina is a dangerous one because it could be she legit got burned. I've had clients that have been burned by contractors. I I only say that because I've had the specific example recently where, you know, someone wrote a contractor a large check and they they ghosted. They ghosting garyed her and they took their money and ran. And so there is, like Kate was saying, there's some bad eggs out there. But for the most part, I think when clients have had difficult experiences, especially with multiple designers in the past, it is often about the client and not so much the expert that they have hired. Speaking of expertise, ooh, ooh, this is not my best, but expertise ignoring Emily can be our next one. (laughs) This is getting really, whatever. We could just call her expert Emily because she's an expert on everything. So why does she even need a designer? Reach it. So expert Emily (laughs) ignores your expertise and chimes in a hell of a lot with her own opinions and ideas and expertise-ness. The specific example I have is an expert, Emily, who kept pushing back on me about pricing and budget. This was a kitchen It was remodel. a kitchen, right? Yeah, this was a kitchen this. client. We're, we're going to call her Emily, expert Emily. And she had this wonderful wish list for a beautiful kitchen. We were knocking down walls. We were doing built-ins. We were doing these beautiful island, you know, new flooring, new- for $25,000. Yes, seriously. (laughs) We were, you know, turning windows into walls and turning other doors into windows. Like this was a huge project. And I brought in my contractor. We did our trade day. And really like we never got to firm numbers, but between myself and the contractor, it was easily- 
a six-figure project, if not probably in the $200,000, dollars range with everything that she was wanting and dreaming. And it was not only for the kitchen, there was like a breakfast room where there was gonna need furniture and some fireplace work and built it. I mean, this was, it was a good size project and she had great taste and they wanted it to be beautiful. And expert Emily was firm on a budget of $75,000. No ifs, ands, or buts. And I have been doing this long enough to know that there is not a snowball's chance in hell that we're gonna get any kind of result she's gonna be happy with for that budget. In the past, I may have played along. I may have tried to make her happy. But in this case, I had very honest upfront conversations with Miss Expert Emily and just said, your wish list is X and it is amazing and it is beautiful, but the budget that you are presenting to me is not going to get you there. So we either need to talk about really scaling back the scope if the budget is the firm part of this project, or we need to talk about, are you prepared to increase the budget to get the look you want? And she just kept saying, you're the designer, you're the expert. I know you can make this happen. You can make this happen. You're going to make this happen for me. Doesn't that make you the expert? It, oh, yeah. Doesn't it, it makes, I guess she wasn't the expert. So it was a very difficult client. And she, there had been signs like this from the beginning where I would give an opinion on something. Oh, this wall here that you feel like is kind of empty. I would love to see a giant piece of abstract oversized art here. I think it would tie in X, Y, and Z. And she said, no, I think it should be a China hutch. And that was just like shut down. I'm like, okay, not really sure why I'm here. If you're, if you already know the answer. So all that to say, like the, the kitchen budget thing was kind of what put the nail in the coffin. And the project unfortunately did end during the design phase. We didn't go any further, but I was never going to make her happy. I have been doing this enough to know that you can't, don't lie to someone and say you can do a $75,000 kitchen or that you can do a $200,000 kitchen for 75. You, my friend, designer, are the expert. And of course, there are ways to be flexible. And you know, there are, we can make magic happen. Absolutely. To a certain degree, I cannot materialize $200,000 worth of kitchen out of my butt. <laughs> so no. So expert Emily is challenging. Oh, this is giving me like, this is giving me like knots in my stomach. It's okay. Right we're going to move that. on from expert no, 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 Emily. No, 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 because I have, I have, I know I, this is a long episode, but you guys, these are important. I have something to say. Oh, I have lots to say. Expert <laughs> Emily. First of all, right, let's not forget we're, we're going to operate from a place, we're going to be generous in our assumptions, right? We need to be listening to our clients. We need to be making sure that we understand their, their wishes and desires and their hopes and their dreams and their budgets. More often than not, clients' initial, uh, original budgets are not based in reality. There's a very, very simple phrase I use with my clients. Uh, you just said almost the exact same thing, but or even space planning, which I'm going to give you a quick story about that in a moment, but the phrase is this. I've been doing this long enough to know that this budget is not based in reality or your space planning ideas are not based in reality, which is why you hired me. But it's a very simple phrase. You can change out the word budget for whatever it is, this timeline, this budget, this, these space planning ideas is not based in reality. It's a very simple phrase you can use if you find yourself in this situation to very firmly put them in their place, but without disregarding them altogether. Reminding us, I hear what you're saying. It's also super helpful to just be respectful and let them know that you're hearing their request, but then go on to talk about solutions. The other one I've had recently was someone who hired me and literally said no less than five times in our initial consultation, I'm terrible with spatial awareness and scale. And we presented the concept design. And for me, our concept design includes a scaled room layout of ideal furniture sizes and pieces and this very tiny room. And she is 
demanding two sets of seating in, in this space. And I don't want to get too specific about it, but, and I, and I just had to stop her and say, you know, with all due respect, you have told me a number of times that your, your spatial reasoning is not great. Um, mine is, I'm a designer and I'm, I'm giving you a scaled drawing. It's right here. You're, we're looking at the same thing. Where do you propose that this would go? <laughs> it's just, but she was like, she, you're the designer, figure it out. And I'm just like, oh. Uh, expert Emily <laughs> it's like I'm really bad at spatial planning but I really know we need a second chair I'm like okay well <laughs> I wanted to share another phrase that's helpful I think this came from Kimberly Selden and she uses the phrase experience has shown me so my experience has shown me a $75,000 budget is not going to accomplish your wish list I think that's kind of a gentler way of reminding people <laughs> it's basically saying I'm the expert dummy Here's what I know, but it's in a way that just reminds them I have experience in this and experience has shown me X. That's been a really, really helpful phrase in my vocabulary. And I used it with Emily and she's still a kibosh thing. So whatever, moving on. <laughs> bless and release. Who's next, Kate? What Ooh, is number nine? Bless and release. <laughs> oh, that, that, my wonderful Samantha said that to me once when we had a difficult client. She's like, you know what, Leslie? Just bless and release. And I was like, ooh, I like that. I love that. Oh, boom. Nice. Emily, out. Okay, number nine. I still don't have a good name for this one. Help me out here. I just want to say for all of these names, if your name is Emily or Ian or Barbara or Nancy, we love you. <laughs> and you are not you are not a negotiating Nancy. You are an awesome Nancy. So just not nothing personal here. I just I feel some hate mail coming on. So <laughs> all right, number nine. Number nine. They have do you have a name for this? Wishy-washy Wendy. I just got all right, it. Wishy-washy Wendy. Wishy-washy Wendy has no idea what she wants. <laughs> you are so good at this. Thank you. I think wishy this is my life's calling. Have <laughs> you been an alliteration coach? <laughs> I hope. Oh, if anyone wants to hire me for that, I am friggin' on it. So Wishy-washy okay, Wendy, okay, wishy -washy Wendy has no idea what she yeah. wants. So if you're showing up for your initial consultation, and this is why the, the people that I've coached, that don't have an initial consultation or first meeting in place before they make some big sign-on with a client, I'm just like, how do you know you wanna work with this person? <laughs> the consultation is super important for you to basically interview the client too and see is this the right project for you and a good fit. And there are no commitments for you or the client after that consultation. So if you show up for a consultation and you realize this person is all over the place, they have no idea what they want. Yes, it's your job to help guide and facilitate that understanding and to help them get clear on that, but pay super close attention to how receptive are they to your ideas. Are they getting on board? Are they like, yeah, you know, I really like that idea. I, I think that would work. Let's, let's go for that. But if they say a lot of, yeah, but. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, but. Nah, no. No, but Wendy, no, but. <laughs> so, um, you know, you're just like disregarding your ideas. Uh, maybe that's the Nancy lady that, or Emily, expert Emily, but yeah, wishy-washy Wendy just doesn't know what she wants and there's no clear vision. That can be really, really hard to wrangle and to bring in. Um, they need to have some sense of like, what is it that they're struggling with? Why are they hiring you? Do they have at least a few ideas of their own that they're willing to share? Even as like function is one thing, but style too. If they if their style is like 
all over the place. Oh my Lord, what was, I wish I could think of that one client. They sent me their client questionnaire and one of them is, you know, a style question. <laughs> we were like, oh yeah, I remember. Husband works for a space company and so, and I was helping them with their office and they were telling me like what they wanted these influences to be. And they was like, they had traveled to Morocco. So it was like space and Morocco. And <laughs> I was like, okay okay <laughs> yeah and it was just like it was a hot show i was like i don't even know how to make sense of it modern farmhouse and traditional <laughs> i mean a moroccan space themed office sounds kind of okay no so anyway wishy-washy wendy just if they're able to make decisions and come to conclusions and move on you're fine but if that is impossible for them you're never going to get anywhere you're going to have them ghost on you you're going to have them question your prices they're going you know it's going to happen at every step of the project so just be mindful wendy <laughs> i love these names i've already got name number 10 which i'm sure you're not okay. surprised at number 10 is no. solo sally she might be married mm. but she's treating this like it's her own project and i'll tell you what i mean solo sally decides not to include her partner whatever that might be husband other kind of spouse, wife, girlfriend, roommate, someone who would have financial decisions. Yeah, decisions about the space or whatever style decisions. And from the get go, they're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm your person. I got this. Well, I'll meet with you. Husband, wife, whatever is OK with this. And then inevitably, when it comes to talking about money, somehow the partner is there. And what happened to me, and this has been more than one project, I have much firmer policies in place now, is that I build a great rapport with Solo Sally. We talk through the design process. She's there for trade day. We build a great relationship. She gets the vision. I show up to talk money at the proposal. And suddenly, Solo Sally's husband is there, unexpectedly. Or even worse, this happened to me with a client I showed, I booked a meeting with Solo Sally. I remember this. To talk about this proposal. I showed up. You're, you're gonna, this is so bad. I showed up. <laughs> she opened the door and says, Hey, Leslie, so nice to see you. I'm heading out to the movies with my friends, so my husband's gonna meet with you. They threw me under, oh, under the bus. No. Wait, was this the same client that I'm thinking of that they, they nickel and dimed my He he showed up. Yeah. He nickel and I mean okay. oh. it was it was a setup. The wife was happy to talk about design selections and pretty things but literally did not even attend the meeting that she booked with me and suddenly her husband who I barely talked to you had never met. Oh, it was That's beyond so uncomfortable so weird. and I mean this is not just the solo thing, but I mean, I didn't have a rapport with this guy. He was easily twice my age. They were an older couple, very sweet. But, you know, I there were comments about my age. I mean, just stuff that was so wildly inappropriate. No. Yeah, it was not a good scene. And so Solo Sally that was running the show from the beginning suddenly got the hell out of there when it was time to get to the nitty gritty. And I've I had this to happen. To go to the movies with yeah, our I'm friends? I'm going to the movies with my friends. You can be with my husband. And not I was like, my oh, kid no. is sick at school and needs to get picked up. Like, no, they're, they're <sighs> kids, their kids are grown. They're my age. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Whatever. Like, my foot's falling off. Like, You think after that time? Oh I, no, th this was not a rescheduling. This was absolutely intentional. And so this, has hap this happened again with a different client where the husband was so easygoing and it was so this and that. And I would email... The solo Sally, every week she got my weekly recap email. We were on the same page. The design was great. 
and they saw the presentation and fired me that afternoon because the husband, it, it was not a good scene also. Things happen. Because, and that's because he had not been involved throughout anything. And Bingo. then he showed up he, and he had no reputation, no rapport with you, no trust built. Yep. And he saw dollar signs and he went, no. And I got a one line email from the client and I have never heard from her again. Solo Sally. And I. Wow. And so then you were all of a sudden communicating yes. with him for yep. the rest of this. Oh, oh yes. so fun. This is the kind of stuff that, I mean, I hope you guys are hearing this and going, I'm going to put policies in place. I hope you don't have to go through this yourselves. But let me tell you, if you do, it's going to spur you to make change. It is difficult to like force someone to say, hey, if you have a partner or spouse who is going to have input on the design or financial decisions, we ask that they are available throughout this process. Kate, you mentioned something to me before we started recording that your policy is, and I love the way you word it. Would you would you share that? The idea of like, you're either in it or you're not? Because it was, it was so good. Well, yeah, and this is a tricky one to enforce, but it is a conversation that I've had to have. I find it hard sometimes to enforce that both partners be present for a consultation. There are just situations where homeboy just doesn't give two flips. He's busy and, you know, it's just not a reality. And so... Busy Bob. <laughs> Solo Sansu married to Busy Bob. Solo Sally and Busy Bob. Yeah, we get it, Bob. So there are a couple of ways that you can approach this. Number one, I will say, you know, after the initial consultation or even before, rather, just say, I expect that both decision-making partners, especially if they're you know, since there's money involved, be present for this. If they decline, then I say, if Busy Bob isn't available at the beginning, then like if he's gonna not, if he's gonna stay out of it, he's not gonna be involved, and it's he's not, he's got to stay out of it the whole time. <laughs> like, sorry, like this is a transaction between, and and that's not re- that's not truly realistic though. Um, but I mean, and it's this is not something you can really enforce. That's the real difficult thing here is you can. Communication is important, setting expectations, expressing your wishes, but this is it's a tough one. And every family is different and people have different relationships with their homes and with their partners and with their money. And they, you know, so I have a client right now who she's just like, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't care. And this is my money and I do with it what I want. And... I was like, all right, well, if that's the deal, then this is between you and me. Is that what we're saying? And she said, yes. All right. But all of this talk does have me thinking about a, you know, another project that I probably should check in on because there's a checked out member um, who I know is going to ultimately have some opinions. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's a, it's a very, it's a very complicated situation, but we, we will work our way through it. But I just, you know, this is intuition that's happening right here as we speak. There's things coming up for me that's just like, man, you know what? I think this needs a little check-in. Trust your gut is kind of the the big takeaway here. Sometimes they are just little tingles. Sometimes they are big screaming flags in your face. But if there's something that feels off, if it's one of these 10 things, if it's something else, don't ignore it. It doesn't mean the project needs to be over. It may mean a conversation needs to happen. It may mean something needs to be clarified. It may mean the project needs to terminate. But please don't pretend these aren't happening because... We have found, experience has shown us when one or more of these are in place, the project does not tend to end well. I think too, the important thing is to be open to slowing down a little bit. You know, just take, just take a little bit of time. Just slow down, listen, feel your body. What is your body telling you? Are you having physical 
reactions or responses to something that somebody is saying or doing and do not ignore it. That is your intuition talking. It can protect you. It can protect your business and your livelihood and your reputation. The last thing you want is some crazy woman or man out there writing terrible reviews about you that are unfounded or based in reality. And you want to be able to protect that. So don't be afraid to slow down. If it means, you know, not taking their check just yet, but having a quick phone call to say, Hey, I just wanted to to recap this question or this comment or this like thing. Do you understand X, Y, or Z, you know, have a conversation, be curious, be generous in your assumptions, make sure that you're communicating your boundaries and your expectations and your timelines and your money and all of that is communicating super clear. I think a lot of times we get wrapped up in the lingo. We know we're so close to our process. We're so close to the industry. We get it. We understand it. And it can be new for a lot of people. And so we want to make sure that we're educating them whenever we need to. And it happens often and throughout the whole process. So yeah, this was good. It was a slight bit of a, can I say B-I-T-C-H fest, but (laughs) it's like bringing up all the stuff that's ever happened. Well, yeah. And I think these are important things to share because a lot of people don't know that other designers have experienced the same thing. If you guys have been hit by one or more of these, please know you're not alone. And we all learn from it. And when you know better, you do better. These are 10 things that I pay a lot more attention to now that I've experienced them. Oh my gosh, this is such a good episode. Yeah. I'm so excited to share it. <laughs> like I want all designers to hear this. And I want to, like, we'll share this on our on our Instagram, but I want to hear from you guys too. Like, have you experienced these? Tell us your stories, email them to us, whatever. Like what, what are your red flags that you've seen? What did we miss? You know, do you have different ways of handling some of these red flags? I'm super curious what other people do. I loved hearing from you, Leslie, and and what you, how you handle these sticky situations, but whatever you alliterated for me, Ah, (laughs) let's just not ignore them. That will kill your business. (laughs) So, all right. right. Kick ass, Kate. This has been a good one. (laughs) I know. Sorry. I'm done now. I promise. Thank you guys for being here. Please, please, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help get the show in front of more designers. And you guys know we all need this and to hear these stories and to really help each other through the messy middle of interior design projects. And don't forget to grab your free. She just squeezed one last alliteration in there. Did I? Oh, I I missed it. (laughs) The messy middle. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm just so good. It comes so naturally. I am now opening up a side business as an alliteration coach, as Kate said. So bring it on. Mini business toolkit on the Designers Getting Coffee website. Good, useful stuff. It will not help you with red flags, but it will help you with an install day box checklist, handy reference guides. I mean, guys, this is good stuff. If you haven't done it yet, come on, go get it. You're going to love it. Useful, useful, useful. Print it out make it happen. Any final thoughts, Kate? Kick-ass Kate before we end today. I know I'm not done. I'm sorry. Alliteration <laughs> Leslie. I love it. No, that's it. I think this is, this is good. This is a beefy episode. I'm gonna shout it from the rooftops. All right, y'all have, enjoy your weekend. Happy Friday. Bye. Bye. Hey designer. Thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. We love to hear your feedback. For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, head over to designersgettingcoffee.com for show notes, free downloads, and more. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at designersgettingcoffee.